0: Well, it is good to be uh, with you here uh, this morning to, to celebrate communion together and uh, just recognize uh, our union with Christ and our unity with one another. Amen. Uh, and uh, we will continue in our uh, study of John's gospel. So if you have uh, your Bible with you, uh, please open up to John chapter 6. That is where we will be uh, this morning. and. Uh, I think a, a good number of you this week probably received uh, an email uh, from Jacob Ansell uh, just uh, speaking a little bit about uh, his ministry here. He's our uh, part-time youth director, and then he's uh, working to to raise support both within and outside of our church to be able to come on uh, full-time, and we appreciate uh, his uh, work and his ministry here uh, with the youth students. And uh, one of the things that we love to do in our youth ministry as uh, we meet here on, uh, on Wednesday nights, and we have a, a little uh, box that we like to put up on this table here in the front. It's, it says "Amazing Grace" on it. Uh, you know, anything you get at Hobby Lobby has something. Uh, uh Alluding to that, Uh, and so what we we call that our uh, Amazing Grace uh, question and answer box, Uh, and uh, the students uh, are uh, able to and encouraged to to write down any question that they have about uh, the Bible, about theology, uh, about life, about ethics and morality. Uh, And uh, Jacob and I take turns uh, answering uh, questions uh, to the youth students, and uh, I give him all of the hard ones, and I just take the easy ones. Uh, But uh, over the last two years, there have been a steady stream uh, of questions in that box. And uh, and honestly, answering those questions is is one of my favorite things to do because uh, I know that when someone has taken the time to put uh, a question in that box, that is really something that they want to know about. Uh, and that if one of them has that question, I guarantee many of them have that question. Uh, and uh, that's why I, I really enjoy answering those questions, because I know that they have been wrestling with those things for uh, quite some time, uh, more than likely. And uh, some questions are really easy. Like this, this past week, we had a, a question of, why is Song of Solomon in the Bible? Okay? Uh, and then we also had another question. It says, if God chose to save some people, why didn't he choose to save everyone? So, so we get a, a full spectrum of uh, easy questions and then really difficult and, and complex questions. And what's been interesting to me is questions about God's uh, election and his salvation uh, of individuals uh, have often appeared in the question box. Uh, and I know that that's not just a topic that uh, teen uh, believers have questions about. It's also a, a topic that many adult Christians have questions about. We all have questions about how our salvation has come about, how it works. And we, we know that word uh, election appears in several different places in Scripture. Uh, and we have to make sense of it somehow. Uh, It it is a topic that we we need to address, and I'd say many of us understand the gospel, or I would say how we are called to respond to the gospel, right? We understand uh, our sinfulness before the Lord, uh, that we have separated ourselves from a holy God, uh, and that we are uh, in need of some help, completely dependent upon someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reconcile us to the holy God that we have sinned against, and Jesus Christ is that Son of God who lived a perfect life, who died a sacrificial death, and then who rose again on the third day. And if we look to Him in faith, and all who look to Him in faith, uh, will be raised up on the last day. That is uh, the message of the gospel. If you hear this morning and that that message is new, even as uh, as Reuben said, uh, I would uh, hope for you to to speak with the person who invited you or come speak with uh, Pastor Groves or myself if you have uh, questions about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And, and most of us understand that message of the gospel and, and most of us understand what we are called to do in response to that gospel, right? To, to look to Jesus in faith and to receive him and him alone as the source of our salvation, but uh, many of us probably have questions or our understanding is a little fuzzy when it comes to uh, how God has planned our salvation, right? Now, we, we know our salvation has been planned from eternity past, but how does, that, how does that work itself out? What are all of the details, right? We have questions about the, the big picture of it, but then also uh, the smaller things. Right? How does election work? Why doesn't God save everyone? And why do only some people hear and believe the gospel? And I would say this, when we have questions like that and we're wrestling with those topics, and it's okay to wrestle with them. Uh, I want to encourage the wrestling. uh, And I want to encourage you to, to ask questions and seek answers in Scripture. Oh, that is okay. I always encourage the youth students of that. It's always a, a good sign when students are wrestling with theology and questions of the faith. I'm, I'm more concerned when they're not wrestling with anything. Right? And they're just like, eh, I don't really care. No, the, the, the wrestling is good, and we want to seek answers from God's Word. But not understanding all that God's Word teaches. When our understanding of God's plan of salvation is kind of fuzzy and, and blurry and our questions are many, then our doubts begin to grow with them. Okay, we begin to, to have questions without answers, and those questions without answers begin to lead to uh, doubting the truthfulness of God's Word, or we may not like what we see in God's Word. And if we are doubtful in our faith about what the Bible teaches, about what we believe, it, it's more than likely that if we, if we have doubts, what are we not going to do? We're probably not going to share the gospel with others. Well, we're probably not going to take the time and invest in discipling other people. And it may even lead us to doubt our own salvation. Again, the big question is, well, how do I know that God has chosen me? How do I know if I'm in that category? Well, in the passage that we're going to look at this morning in John chapter 6, it doesn't contain uh, the word election in it. But as we will see, the concept is clearly there as Jesus is going to speak about God the Father giving a people to Him to save. And this morning's passage is John chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. And this is right smack in the middle of a larger portion of Scripture known as uh, the Bread of Life Discourse. uh, Which begins uh, in verse 22 and continues through the end of the chapter. And this teaching discourse is uh, directed to an an audience of Jews in a synagogue uh, in the city of Capernaum, which is on the the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And the Jews are there listening to uh, Jesus teach, and the, the day just before this... Jesus was on the other side of the sea of Galilee and he fed close to 20,000 people in your Bible It says uh, there were at least 5,000 there We see from parallel passages that it was at least 5,000 men But that number didn't include the women and the children and Jesus had fed those close to 20,000 people with five barley loaves or little pita breads and two pickled fish and then Uh, The crowds know that Jesus uh, mysteriously arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, even though He didn't depart with His disciples in the boat. And that's where things will uh, pick up if you look with me, beginning in verse 25 in John chapter 6, and we're going to read through verse 40. The crowds had been looking for Jesus, and when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi... And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Let's just pause and pray. Father, we come to You and we would ask for for understanding and grace as we study Your Word this morning. That You would help me to clearly communicate uh, all that Your Word teaches, all that it proclaims. And Lord, give us understanding on this, on this difficult topic. Help us to rightly understand what You have taught and why it is important, the implications for our day-to-day lives not just a theology way up high but lord help us to hear your word and to respond to it in faith and obedience we ask in jesus name amen well as jesus taught uh, in this uh, synagogue in capernaum now he is rebuking his audience for seeing but not believing see they had they had seen his Miracles with their own eyes. He had, uh, they had seen or heard his teaching with their own ears, and yet uh, they had not responded in faith. And so he is rebuking them and saying, hey, there is a faith that, or there is a seeing that does not lead to believing. And he is rebuking them for that. And yet, as we read in verse 40, There there is also a seeing that leads to believing. See, We see both types in this passage. And that there are some whose seeing leads to believing in Jesus as the Son of God, who was sent to the cross, that we might be rescued, reconciled, and redeemed. And that is the kind of faith that we are called to. But again, the, the question arises, is why is it that there are some who... Who saw Jesus back then and yet they still did not believe. Or to put it kind of in modern terms, how is it that there are some who, who see the church, who, who hear God's word, who know God's word. And yet they still do not believe and receive the message of the gospel in faith. And what we see in this passage It's going to be three clues concerning the inner workings of our salvation. Three clues that are going to show us this connection between seeing Jesus and believing in Him as Savior and Lord. And the first of these clues is going to be seen in verse 36. And we could call this clue, uh, that "...the eyes of humanity do not guide us to salvation." The eyes of humanity do not guide us to salvation." Verse 36, Jesus says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And he said this coming right off of his first I am statement that we uh, we looked at last week in verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he he promises that everyone who comes to him shall not hunger and shall never thirst again. There was a, a great emphasis there in the Greek that we saw and that we looked at. But here Jesus is rebuking this crowd who have seen Him do miracles. They have heard Him teach. They have heard His wisdom. And yet they have not believed in Him. And and what does He mean by that? Because they just in this very chapter, they wanted to make Him king. So they believe certain things about Jesus. Yes, they believe that He is a special man. They they believe that He might become a, a great king who would be able to overthrow the authority of Rome. But the key is they're not believing in Jesus as the Son of God. They're not believing in Him as the one sent by God the Father to save them. And the rebuke of Jesus here to these uh, Jewish uh, people in Capernaum is really just an, an echo of the same thing that He said in John chapter 5. Like, man, Jesus says a lot of the same things. If you, if you look back in John chapter 5, He was speaking to a group of believers, or not believers, a group of uh, Jews In Jerusalem, if you look at uh, John chapter 5, beginning in verse 36, he says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words?" But once again, Jesus is rebuking unbelief of people who 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 knew the Scriptures, who had seen all that Jesus had said and done, and yet they continued not to believe in all that he claimed to be. And what's remarkable is that we saw Jesus rebuking the Jews in in this chapter and then in chapter 5 we just read. But back in chapter 4, the Samaritans, when he comes and and speaks uh, in the village of Sychar after speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, now what do the Samaritans do? They believe in Him. They say, look, this is the, the Savior of the world, and Jesus didn't perform any miracle for them, and yet they believe. So this is, a, again, an indictment on their Jewish unbelief. But the big point here is that there is a kind of sight that leads to unbelief, a kind of seeing, a kind of hearing that does not lead to faith but continues on into Death and and true faith is not dependent upon what the eye sees. It is dependent upon the word of Christ. And Yet what is amazing is both now and in the past of how many people depend solely upon what they see to formulate their understanding of the world around us. Yet there are many ways in which our eyes can be deceived. Right? And, And... previous eras of uh human history they didn't have video but we do and and we have a, this tendency of trusting what we see a video of right it's got to be real but what's remarkable is wh- what can take place with videos they can be edited They can be spliced and cut down or framed in a particular way uh, to communicate something that has not really happened. Famously, last year uh, at the March for Life in Washington, there was a group of high school boys uh, from Covington Catholic School. Uh, and they had gone to Washington to participate in the March for Life. Uh, and there was a video that went viral where there was a Native American man who was a little bit older and he was, he's playing uh, this, uh, instrument, kind of looked like a drum. Uh, and you see this Native American man and there's a, a young high school student kind of in his face and the, and, uh, the young man is just kind of smiling and not really sure what to do. Uh, and there's a group of other high school boys around this older gentleman, uh, and, and the group of boys begin to chant and this was, uh, posted on uh, social media and it immediately went viral and there was this huge uh, outrage of saying that these students were, were racist and, and hostile and all of these things but after that video went viral guess what, what else came out uh, a, a longer video that that showed what happened and what was initially presented as uh, the, these young men who were the antagonizing uh, Force against this uh, this older gentleman what what turns out was that these young men were actually just sitting around and and, and talking uh, when, when the older gentleman came up and started playing this drum in the face of one of the students uh, and and the, over the, somebody has happened to have video of uh, the man walking over, and all of these things. So what was initially presented as these antagonistic young men was actually the exact opposite. Uh, and uh, there was a bit of a, a, a lawsuit between that young man's family and uh, CNN and the Washington Post, somewhere to the tune of about 250 million dollars, uh, because of this enormous outrage that that came about. Uh, but uh, but video does not tell. The whole picture. Even additionally, I heard that there are now uh, smartphone applications that are so sophisticated uh, that uh, it it becomes very, very difficult to tell uh, if a video is genuine or if it has been spliced together and edited uh, and it was totally fabricated. Uh, And so just in a few years, we're really going to be at that point technologically where we may not even be able to to really trust uh, videos that we see. They are truly, truly authenticated in other ways. And all of this while our world wants us to put complete dependence upon our eyes and our minds. And what do we tend to do naturally? We tend to depend upon only our eyes and our own wisdom. Yet, even as we see here that there is a type of seeing that does not lead to believing. That there are some things that are beyond human sight. There are some things that are beyond human wisdom. Seeing does not always lead to believing. And Jesus is here rebuking the Jews in this synagogue who are refusing to believe even though they have seen. And I will say this. This is what what we need to come to grips with as a church, as individual followers of Jesus, that, that again there will be some who who hear the gospel, who understand it, who maybe been been a part of church or or seen the church. They understand all of those things and yet they still do not believe. Uh, and that's hard for us to to accept at times, isn't it? We all probably know people uh, who have walked away from the faith. Or uh, it, it's at times discouraging when we share the gospel with others and, and nobody seems to respond. Uh, and most of you know by experience that not all of our friends or neighbors or co-workers or extended family members will immediately respond to the gospel when we share it with them. And we know that, but I know uh, something a little bit closer to home, and something we, we struggle with a little bit more, is, is parents, uh, how do we feel about our own children? Right? We, I think we, we wrestle a little bit more, it's a lot more difficult to accept the fact that our, our children may not believe. It's not necessarily a guarantee that all of our children, all the children here in our church will grow up to know and love the Lord. Again, we, we may agree with a theological truth that not everyone will come to know Christ, but it, it's more and more difficult as we wrestle with that, with the people that we love and are the closest to. We have to understand that, that human eyes will not guide people to salvation. Salvation is, is a work of God in the human heart. There's not a, a mixture of, of teaching and obedience that we can impart to our kids to... To make them believe, we have, we have to understand that our, our default, our factory setting as human beings is unbelief. And that's how we are, are naturally wired, because of our sin nature. But, but because of that default, it doesn't mean that we don't share the gospel. Okay, Because uh, even though uh, the eyes of humanity will not guide us to salvation, what does guide us to salvation? The word of God. Uh, and, and so we, we need to be faithful to proclaim the gospel. We need to be faithful to, to share the good news of salvation in Christ alone with everyone. Because we don't know who will respond to the gospel in faith, or when they will respond. Right? Because even the, 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 the most uh, hard-hearted sinner, the people most hostile to Christianity, can God still transform their hearts? Absolutely. I mean, we could, we could look at the, the life of uh, the Apostle Paul and take a snapshot at one portion of his life and think, man, this guy is never going to know Christ, right? That that portion of his life where he's there watching uh, the coats of the men who are stoning Stephen, the deacon, to death. Reuben's really excited that we're not stoning him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we don't stone our deacons here. Um, but, but just that aspect of it, the, yeah, there was a point in time Where Saul is going around, it says that he was ravaging the church. That he's going and persecuting me. And you would look and say, man, there's no way that he's ever going to come to believe in Jesus. But but we don't know who and how the Lord will work. But we are called to faithfully and regularly share the gospel with those around us. And you don't know how the Lord may take what you say and, and work in someone's heart. I was talking with somebody in the membership class today. Uh, at the beginning, uh, we're just kind of catching up on, uh, on how the, our weeks went. And uh, we're talking with, with somebody, and there's a, there's a couple there, and uh, the, the gentleman said that they had a plumber over at their house uh, this week, uh, and he shared the gospel with the plumber, and the plumber accepted Christ. Praise the Lord, right? You don't know what the outcome is going to be. All we are called to do is what? Is share the gospel, proclaim it. We leave the results up to the Lord. And this is our, our first clue that we see this morning as to, to why some people believe in Christ and not everyone. First and foremost, because the eyes of humanity do not guide us to salvation. It's not human wisdom that saves. It's, it's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the name of Jesus Christ. But there is something else that is required beyond human sight and human wisdom in order for people to come to faith. And this is going to be our our second clue, and it's going to be in verses 37 and 38. We can call this clue, the unity of the Trinity is the foundation of our salvation. The unity of the Trinity is the foundation of our salvation. Look at me at those verses, 37 and 38. Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, have you ever been, been reading a, a passage of scripture? And uh, especially in the way that Jesus teaches sometimes, he, he takes these leaps. And you're like, well, how did he get from one statement to another? right? Because there is a, a bit of a, a jump, a bit of a leap from verse 36 to verse 37. Right, Because uh, verse 35, Jesus says, I'm the bread. Verse 36, he says, in essence, you've rejected me. You, you've seen, but you have not believed. And then suddenly Jesus is talking about who the Father gives to him. But how does all of this connect? Well, Jesus is beginning to explain why they're not believing, but he's doing it in a unique way. He's not going to clearly state this is why you're not believing, but he's suddenly going to start to talk about this is why people believe. This is how belief comes about. So he's going to address their unbelief by talking about how belief happens. And he begins by looking at salvation from a heavenly perspective. He's not describing salvation as we see it. He's describing salvation as God sees it and as God has planned it from eternity past. Because he describes, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Okay, the, there 's an emphasis in this first statement in verse thirty seven upon uh, a collective group of people that 's the emphasis uh, of all all whom the Lord or God the Father gives to God the Son now, and and we see this uh, is a recurring theme in scripture and especially here in john 's gospel now, there, there is a, the, the revelation of god 's plan to save. A people for himself involves God the Father choosing and then giving to God the Son a people to redeem. We see this later on in John's Gospel in John seventeen. Okay, what is famously known as the high priestly prayer. It's uh it's, it's an amazing prayer of God the Son speaking to God the Father. In John seventeen, two, Jesus prays this says, since you have given him, so speaking you being God, the father and him speaking of Jesus himself, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. Okay. Later on in that same chapter, verse six, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. And later in John eighteen verse nine, so this was to fulfill the word he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost, not one. So there is an, uh, an emphasis at the first part of verse thirty seven upon uh, the, the heavenly perspective of salvation of god 's plan of God the Father giving to God the Son, and the focus is upon a collective group of people that the Father is giving to the Son to save. But then in the second part of verse 37, we're going to have a little bit of, of a balancing act here. Now, the second part of verse 37 focuses upon individuals within that group, and the focus is more upon an earthly perspective. Okay, It's not the, uh, the God's plan, it's the how are we to respond. And, and whoever, or the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And this second part of the verse is often misunderstood because it's an, an unusual figure of speech uh, that is known as a uh, litotes, okay, in which something is affirmed by negating the contrary. You got that? I had to look up what that meant. Uh, and so examples of that, well, if I were to say, well, this is no small problem. You understand, we're talking about something really big, but I'm stating it in a negative way. Uh, Or I would say, well, he is not unkind, meaning, hey, he's a a nice guy. And that is what Jesus is saying here. And so, by affirming that that there is no one who comes to him that he will cast out. uh, And again, this is a, a double negative in the Greek, so there's an added emphasis. Now, really what Jesus is saying is that everyone who comes to him will be welcomed. With open arms. There is no one uh, whom the Father gives to the Son, and then that person, when they come to Jesus, Jesus is like, well, get out of here. Go away. That's not going to happen. Right? Everyone who comes to Jesus will be welcomed by Him. That, that is what Jesus is saying. And, and the point here is the unity of the triune God in the plan of salvation. And he, he is pointing to that unity as the explanation for faith and the explanation of our salvation. Uh, and oftentimes we just kind of think of uh, a small portion of our salvation. Okay, uh, What we need to see is that our salvation is really uh, an act of uh, each member uh, in the, the Godhead, uh, the triune God. Our salvation was planned in eternity past by God the Father. Okay, Then our salvation was accomplished according to that plan. By God the Son. And then that plan of salvation is then applied to us by God the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity has an impact in uh, saving us. And there is really a single plan that is being carried out in the scope of human history. And uh, my youth students know this because I drill it into their head. Uh, The big overarching theme of Scripture is what I like to call RCGG. Again, you've probably heard that, but redemption in Christ for the glory of God. God the Father bringing glory to His name by saving a people through His Son and His Holy Spirit. And that's the idea here. There is a single unified plan of salvation being followed by our triune god and this is important because uh, imagine with me some of you may have recently uh built a house here in the treasure valley in this housing boom so say you're in the middle of uh, construction uh, at your house and uh you decide hey i'm just going to go and, and visit the construction site today and you and you arrive there and oh look they're they're pouring the foundation that's great. And so you, uh, you're there and you're kind of observing. You don't want to be that really weird person trying to micromanage the construction because you know nothing about construction. But uh, we well, maybe you know a little bit about construction because you overhear uh, the foreman say to a couple of his guys, he says, hey, okay, uh, you two guys, one of you start over there on that side of the house. Uh, and one uh, of you start over there and just, just start to pour the foundation. And then we'll just kind of just pour it however you like. And we'll just kind of work towards the middle and see what happens. What would you say right then and there? You're like, uh, excuse me, let's not do that. Like, I'm not a professional builder, but I know you can't pour the foundation that way. Uh, and sometimes we, we think of our salvation in that way, that somehow God the Father had one plan and, and God the Son has a different plan and God the Spirit has another plan over there. And then somehow, maybe, perhaps, we hope that it all kind of comes together. Does that give you assurance? Right? Not at all. It's actually a huge a reason for concern. Because if there is division in the Godhead, we, we have a lot bigger problems, right? And so what we see in this one unified plan is so important. And just as there has to be a single plan when, when constructing and, and building a house and everyone sticks to that plan... It's the same way with God's plan of salvation. There can't be multiple foundations. There has to be a single foundation. Otherwise, over time, if you were to say, hey, there's will just be multiple foundations and we'll kind of try and merge them. Well, cracks and discrepancies will begin to show themselves. So we have to to see and understand the unity of in the Trinity and the unity and unified single plan that they have to save a people for the glory of God the Father. And here's some other things to, to keep in mind. They, they have a single unified plan, and Jesus, what he is saying here is that they stick to that plan. Everyone whom God the Father has planned to save, God the Son saves Okay? No one is given by the Father to the Son and then subsequently rejected by the Son. And everyone who comes to Jesus will be welcomed by Him. And then Jesus gives us some additional assurance in verse 38 after saying, of, Hey, all who the Father gives are welcomed by the Son. And he gives a reason for this. In verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Again, it echoes back things that were stated in John chapter 5, where Jesus is affirming he can do nothing of his own initiative. John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Then again in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Again, there is a, a unity within the Godhead that is the, the absolute bedrock foundation of our salvation. And we have to, to see and recognize that. additionally, what we see in uh, verse 37 is the, the perfect blending of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Okay. Uh, is God sovereign? Absolutely. Does man have a responsibility to respond? Absolutely. And, and those are friends. I love what Charles Spurgeon has to say about those two topics. He says, I don't need to reconcile friends. They are not at war with one another. And what we see here is, again, the, the heavenly perspective of our salvation. The triune God planning our salvation from eternity past. The Father giving to the Son a people uh, to redeem but we also see the earthly perspective, the, the, the response that we are to have to the gospel. And this is the, the whosoever comes to Jesus in faith will never be cast out, but will be welcomed. Uh, and, and we're not able to look into the depths of God or eternity past uh, to, to figure out if we are among those whom God the Father has given to God the Son, right? Because we can't do that. We can't l- look into the depths of that at this point in time but what can we see we are able to see someone respond when they hear the gospel we are able to see if someone sees jesus and responds in faith just like this person who shared the gospel with the plumber we we are able to, to see we share the gospel they respond in faith we say praise the lord now let's follow jesus And so we are not able to look into the the depths of eternity past, but we are able to look at the here and the now, what is visible to us. And that's what we are called to look at, that whoever comes to Jesus will be welcomed. And we see that the balance here, we see that both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, but we also have to recognize which one of those comes first. It's God the Father giving to God the Son. Our salvation is dependent upon God. And everyone who is given by the Father to the Son comes in faith. And verse 44 in this same chapter was going to, to clarify some, an additional question. Uh, well, can someone come without being given? And Jesus says in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And as we, as we contemplate all of these things, I know it can be overwhelming. And I also want to, to frame this in, a, in a, the right way. That this conversation and this understanding of God's plan of salvation in eternity past, that is not, uh, that is not something that we have to uh, divide over. Okay? We, we can disagree uh, on that and still be friends. OK, salvation is still by grace through faith uh, and uh, just concerning election. There are there are multiple views within the bounds of of orthodoxy. So I want to communicate that uh, as well. But if, if you are wrestling with this again, I would encourage you continue to wrestle, continue to look to Scripture and and understand from Scripture what God's word is saying. And if you're you're struggling to to grasp uh, all of this, I would say this: focus more upon the call to faith. Again, focus upon what we can see. Focus upon the the, the earthly perspective, the here and the now, versus well, what am I in eternity past? God knows eternity past. We don't. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: the secret things belong to who? To the Lord. Uh, And and those are some of those secret things that we don't necessarily get to know. But what we are called to do, what you are called to respond to right now is the gospel in faith. Will you look to Jesus or will you not? That is what we are called to focus upon. And when someone comes to faith here on earth, we then know that their salvation was planned in heaven from eternity past. Again, focusing on the, the visible, the tangible, and the earthly right now and then understanding the the spiritual truths, the heavenly truths behind it. So we've seen these two clues so far. Number one, that the eyes of humanity do not guide us to salvation. And then clue number two, that the unity of the Trinity is the foundation of our salvation. Uh, And these two clues have given us quite a bit of information, but there's one more clue uh, to look at, Uh, and that's in uh, verses 39 and 40. Uh, And we could call this clue that the assurance of the believer is our future resurrection. Read those verses with me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so just in case we weren't clear on what the will of God the Father is, Jesus gives it to us twice in two verses. Okay, uh, And th- these two verses really are going to echo one another and, and basically say the same thing, but there are a couple of key differences. And again, I would uh, just point them out. Verse 39, again, seems to echo that, that heavenly language. Right? It's the emphasis of the plan of salvation, of God giving uh, to the Son a group of people uh, and that of those collective people given to the Son, uh, Jesus assures us that there is no one uh, who is lost in the shuffle. Okay? Uh, and, and in the verse 37, we see that of those given uh, by the Father to the Son, there are none who are rejected. Well, here there's none who are lost or forgotten by uh, Jesus. There are no fumbled handoffs in the Godhead. Okay, we, good Good to know that. Uh, and uh, this is a recurring theme in John's Gospel, again, of God the Father giving to uh, God the Son. Uh, if you want to just write this verse down and, and look at it later, uh, John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. Uh, just Jesus speaking about, uh, the again, giving... Uh, to him a people to save. And so while verse 39 emphasizes the invisible, the eternal and the heavenly perspective of our salvation, verse 40 again emphasizes the visible, the immediate and the earthly perspective of our salvation. Again, speaking of the whosoever sees and believes in the son has eternal life. And this again, this emphasizes the individual uh, of of whoever turns to Jesus, whoever sees him, whoever has a, a sight of Christ that leads to faith has eternal life right here and right now. And then an assurance that God will raise him up or Jesus will raise him up on the last day. And. Again, this echoes Jesus' authority that we saw in John chapter five, that Jesus has authority to give life and he is going to be the one who raises the dead from the grave. Uh, and there's an emphasis in the second uh or in verse forty that the, the NASB is is kind of captures it well from the Greek, but the ESV doesn't of Jesus says, I myself will raise him up from the dead of Hey, there is no one else uh who is able to raise from the dead. And all of this serves to, to give the believer the assurance that, that what Jesus has said will take place. Okay? Now, uh, there, are, there are many things in life that we don't have assurance of. Right? What's the old saying? Death and taxes are the only two things that uh, you can be certain of. Uh, and, and we feel that on a regular basis right now. Yeah, I know some of you may be worried or have concerns right now. What's the What's the big virus? going around? Coronavirus, right? A lot of questions you may have of, well, is it going to be a, a huge pandemic? Is it going to spread? Or is the economy going to shut down? Are we going to be under quarantine? I don't know. There's a lot of things in life like that. where well, we are not assured of what's going to happen uh, later today or tomorrow or next week or next month. And there's so many things that we don't have assurance about, but I can speak with with absolute assurance and absolute clarity of what will happen on the last day. And I can speak on that with clarity because Jesus speaks on that with clarity. That everyone who who sees and believes in him, Jesus himself will raise up. That we have that assurance, we have that hope. We know that, that the Son will save and safeguard all who come to Him. We will not be lost or forgotten or abandoned by the God who has planned our salvation from eternity past. So that gives us reason to rejoice, reason to, to hope, even if there's a pandemic on our doorstep. That okay? we still know where our hope lies. We still know in whose hand our eternity rests. And, and with all of this, again, Jesus is, is speaking to this crowd in the synagogue. And, and he's explaining their unbelief and rebuking them for their unbelief. But he, he's doing that by laying out how we come to know Christ. He, he's doing that by laying out the plan of salvation. And this should give us hope. This should give us comfort and encouragement and an assurance of where we stand with the triune God. And understanding that it's not our, our own eyes that guide us to salvation. It's that our salvation is stable and secure because it's built on the, on the foundation and the unity found in the Trinity. And as believers, we can be absolutely assured that Christ has given us eternal life now and that we will be raised up with him in the future. And we can trust in this. All of this is rooted in his character his trustworthiness, his power to save. And ultimately, all of Jesus' promises are inseparable from his glory and the glory of God the Father. Because if you ever think about there is nothing more inglorious than promising something that you can't do. Right? Parents, have you ever promised something to your kids and then broken that promise? What, what type of an impact does that make in, in your relationship? It's extremely hurtful, Right? Uh, and again, it is, it is shameful to make that promise and not be able to follow through on it. Back in, in 2003, there was a, uh, a playoff game uh, in Green Bay between the Packers and uh, the visiting Seahawks. And uh, the game was tied uh, at the end of regulation. And it went into overtime. And in the NFL, uh, there's another coin flip at the beginning of overtime to see who is going to get the ball first. Uh, and uh, in, the, in the NFL in overtime, uh, the first team to score wins. And the quarterback for the, the, the Seahawks was a guy named Matt Hasselback. And, and, and uh, so he calls the, the coin flip and, and the Seahawks win the coin flip. And what he says uh, on national television is, hey, we want the ball and we're going to score. It's really bold. Okay? Well, uh, later on in that first drive, uh, Matt Hasselback, the quarterback, uh, throws an interception. And not just any interception. He throws an interception that is taken by the defensive back and returns the opposite direction for a touchdown. So this guy who had guaranteed that they were going to score, they were going to go down and win, he, he was uh, the one who, who made the, the error that cost the team the game. And, and that is something that he will probably never live down, right? Because it's, it's recorded on video and it hasn't been edited or spliced. Um, but, but as Jesus makes all of these assertions, all of these promises here, we, we have to understand that His glory is on the line. Right? If Jesus says all of these things that He is able to save, that He is able to safeguard, that He is able to raise us up on the last day, and then if He doesn't do that, there's nothing more inglorious. See, There's nothing more shameful but we can rest assured, we can trust completely and faithfully that Jesus will keep His Word. And and we are called to believe that Word, not as those who have seen His ministry, but as those who have read His Word. Right now, our faith is trusting in the Word of Christ. But there will come a day... When we will see and behold Jesus in his glory. And right, we will he- hear his words, hear his teaching with our own ears. And as it is famously said, our faith will turn to sight. But until that day, we must continue to trust in his word. We must take our assurance And what he has said, and we must obey all that he has proclaimed, which means that even though we don't know all whom the the father has given to the son, what do we know we are supposed to go and do? We're supposed to go and proclaim. We're supposed to go and share the gospel. And this should be a burden upon our hearts. not a reason that we don't share. It's a reason that we go and, and do share with our plumbers. I'm not saying go break something in your house so you can invite a plumber and share the gospel. But, but look for ways of being intentional to proclaim the gospel with our friends, neighbors, co-workers, family members. Because we don't know whose heart the Lord will change. Can we commit to that?